Look out the windows, folks. <laughs> it's autumn. Yes. No more summer. Woo-hoo. Oh, sorry. I know you're all like, this is rotten. This is I wanted more time. Oh. Happens every year. Get used to it. You'll figure it out if you haven't figured it out already. Anyways. Um, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's the anyway. We won't go there. Um, but one of the things that happens every year around this time, and this year actually it's going to be happening next Friday, not this coming Friday, not the 10th, but the 17th. Something very significant is going to happen. Does anybody have a clue what it is? September 17th and 18th of, this, of 2010. Do you have any idea what it might be? Quizzing kickoff. Huh? Quizzing kickoff. Quizzing kickoff. Hmm, not. Okay. Uh, okay, that's that's a celebration, celebratory event, but it is not the one I'm talking about. Yes, sir. September 19th is National Talk Like a Pirate. International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Hmm, that's not quite the one I was talking about either. No idea, huh? No. No. Well, maybe, but no. It is Yom Kippur. Anybody know what Yom Kippur is? Joyce? It is the Jewish New Year. But what else is it? It is the Day of Atonement. So, the Jewish New Year is the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement today, in the year 2010... Those who are observant Jews and even those who are not observant Jews, this is a very important holy day for them. Um, They literally, many, many, many Jews will spend many, many, many hours in prayer at their local synagogues. They will, this will be a day of fasting for them. They will be... uh, 
in some cases in a Jewish culture, there are three times for prayer, three times during the day for prayer. On a special day, it would be four times a day for that prayer. On high holy day like, like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, it's literally almost an all-day prayer session for them. Now, what happens on Yom Kippur, I mean on the Day of Atonement today, is not what the Bible originally talked about with the Day of Atonement. And the reason that they don't do it the way the Bible talks about it is because they don't have a temple anymore to go to. We're going to look just a little bit about the Day of Atonement and the temple and the practices. So turn with me, if you will, to, first of all, um, well, it's Leviticus 16 and Exodus 30, and I don't remember which order I wanted to go in. So let me look at both of them real quick. Leviticus chapter 16 and Exodus chapter 30. I'm thinking 30 is the one I wanted to do first, but I have to turn to it. Okay, Exodus chapter 30. Yeah, let's do that one first. Exodus chapter 30, verse 10. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns, which is the altar of incense. The annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. So <clears throat> verse 10 of chapter 30 of Exodus discusses the fact that there is one specific day that is set aside for this particular sacrifice. It only happens once a year. So let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16 and look at this practice called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. I'm just going to start reading and we'll stop every so often and talk about what we're reading. Chapter 16 of Leviticus verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the cover of the atonement cover of the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now, <clears throat> we've talked about this before and I've actually had a little aluminum foil model, if you remember a year or so ago, of what the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that the Israelites made under the directions of Moses because God demanded it. And that box contained certain icons or articles that they were instructed to put in the box. And then the box was covered with a lid, the atonement cover. And then the, the cover itself had on top of it Two statues, if you will, of what are called cherubim or angels or seraphs or whatever. But cherubim is a specific type of heavenly being. And it says in the, in the scriptures, when it discusses this atonement cover and the way it was to be constructed, that literally it was as if the cherubim are, are kneeling before the center of the cover and that their wings come up. And they touch because there's two cherubim facing each other and their wings come up and touch. And what ends up happening is there's the there's the cover right here and then there's the, the cherubim and the cherubim. And it formed a small little opening, if you will, 
in, in the midst of the gold. And that small little opening by the, the term was called the mercy seat. And this was the place where God's presence was understood to dwell. So the children of Israel constructed this tabernacle under the leading of Moses. And then eventually it became the temple. But they had the tabernacle. Within the tabernacle, there were certain places where ministry took place. In the center part of the tabernacle was the inner court where they did the offerings of incense and bread and they did certain things during the day. But then in the very, very holy of holies was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was held. The Ark of the Covenant was covered with this atonement cover which had the cherubim, which was the mercy seat, which was the place where God's presence was. And it says that we just read here in Leviticus that Aaron, the high priest over all of the nation of Israel, was the only member of the nation of Israel who had the right to come into the presence of God and to stand before the mercy seat or the, the, the uh, atonement cover. And he could only do that once a year. It says he is not... Let's, let's go back to Leviticus 16 now. Uh, verse 2. Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die before. I mean, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So you can come in high priest, but only when I say you can come in. You don't just come in because you choose to. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to take the bull for his own sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Now, we'll stop there. What happens is this. Aaron, it's the day of atonement coming up September 17th. His job as the high priest was to go into the tabernacle area and there was a big basin of water and he was to literally strip down and to bathe. Now, I don't know if he physically got in there. Usually that's what they did. They would physically get into the bath and wash. But he was to cleanse himself physically. And then he was to put on the linen undergarments, which are basically just trousers. And then he wore the linen robe or whatever. Then he had a linen sash and a special linen turban, which was not the normal garb of the high priest. This was a special outfit that he wore only once a year for the Day of Atonement. And it also says, we haven't gotten there yet, that he has to have a rope or a linen cord tied to his ankle. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, he is to go to the entrance to the tent of meeting, not the Holy of Holies, but he's to go to the entrance of the tent of meeting and there will be presented to him two goats. And then they will take probably the Urim and the Thummim, which are kept in the high priest's little breastplate. And they're just, they're, they're black and white things that they throw like dice. And it says the, 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 the lamb that, or the goat that is chosen by lot to be sacrificed to the Lord, the other one will become the scapegoat. And so what happens is they say, Lord, should this goat be the one that is offered to you? 
And if it was two blacks or two whites or whatever the code was on these, on these Urim and Thummim, that would be a yes from the Lord. And so then they would say yes or no. And if it's yes, then this goat would be taken in and sacrificed to the Lord. The other one, it says the high priest would take his hands and place them on the head of the goat and he would declare over the goat, God, in your sight, I am placing all of the sins of the people of Israel on this goat. And then it says, as, we, as we'll read in a little bit, that the goat would then be taken out into the desert and released. And what that symbolized was the sins of the people were being removed from the nation of Israel. They were put onto the goat and then they would be left. The goat would then wander around in the desert until it died. And the, the, the result was that the sins were removed from the people. So let's, let's read about that now as we, as we go through this. Verse 6. Aaron is to offer the bull in his own sin offering to make atonement for him and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. In other words, he's cleaning himself before he can even begin to clean for the people. He's to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He's to take a censer full of burning coals, which is just basically a, a brass um, or golden, probably, in the, in the temple, um, container that they would take coals and put in. And then he takes some of the special incense. Where am I at? Uh, he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense. This is a special incense that was only allowed to be used in the tabernacle, in the temple. No one else was allowed to use this, this formula, this recipe for making this incense on pain of death, literally. So they would take this incense and put it in the burning coals and then it would raise up the smoke, this sweet smell. And he would then take that behind the curtain. So Aaron would then, as the high priest, with the censer filled with the burning coals and the incense, go behind the curtain and he would put this incense into the Holy of Holies before the atonement cover. So that, and this was the process. Now let's read what it's, what it's saying. <clears throat> Verse 13, he is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that Aaron will not die. The high priest will not die. He is to take some of the bloods, the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he'll sprinkle some of it on with his fingers seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering. Then he comes back out, slaughters the goat for the sin offering for the people and takes its blood behind the curtain and does it as well. Then he sprinkles it on the atonement cover and in front of it. And then in this way, he'll make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the holy, most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it, to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. 
He then lays both hands on the head of the live goat, confesses over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and puts them on the goat's head. He then sends the goat away into the desert in the care of a man who was appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a solitary place. The man shall release it in the desert. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments that he put on before he entered the most holy place. He's to leave them there. He shall then bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. And he shall burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and offal will be burned up. The man who burns up then must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards, he can come back into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work whether native or alien living among you, because on that day, this day of atonement will be made for you. On this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and for the altar and the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Wow. It was long and tedious and it had to happen every single year. And... We understand because we live on this side of the time of Jesus and his ministry on this earth that we no longer have to do that. But the Jews don't understand that because they don't accept that Jesus offered up the ultimate sacrifice for all sin. And the result is that even after Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection, they continued to do to follow the teachings that were in the law And every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would continue to go in and to put the incense up so he could put a smoke screen between him and the atonement cover and bring in the blood of the bull and bring in the blood of the goat and say the prayers and say the pronouncement of the sin over the scapegoat, which were then taken out into the wilderness. Every year, the same thing happened. Every year, the same thing happened until the year 70 A.D. What happened in the year 70 A.D.? The Romans destroyed the temple. And what do the Jews have to do now? Because this is a lasting ordinance. So they have no more temple. They cannot offer up this in accordance with the law. What has evolved as time has progressed is they now call this a day of of quiet reflection, a day of self-sacrifice fasting, a day where they reflect over their life and they plead before God all of their sins. And then they hope at the end of the day that he will have found them acceptable and he will again write them in the, in the book of life for one more year. Because if he doesn't write them in the book of life for one more year, if they're offering is not acceptable on the day of atonement they will die in the next 12 months that is their belief that is their practice so those who are continuing to practice in the jewish faith this is a very important day for them because this is the day that they make 
make their right, themselves right before God. It's really sad. It's really sad because that's their only hope. I hope and hope and pray and pray that I am found acceptable in God's eyes one more year. Because if I'm not, my name doesn't get written into his book and I die this year. That's what they live with if they're a practicing Jew today. We don't live with that. Jesus himself told us that he is going to be with the Father to prepare a place for us, to then bring us back there when the place is returned. And there's more to his being in heaven than just going to prepare a place for us. And I want to read that to you this morning out of the book of Hebrews. So if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We don't have time this morning to get into all the deep theological things that could be discussed this morning about Hebrews chapter 7. But I do want to read to you chapter 7, excuse me, verses 11 to the end of the the chapter. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law it was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe. No one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regards to that tribe, Moses said nothing about them being priests. What we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation because of his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That came out of Psalm 110. The former regulation is set beside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God himself said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. You see, Aaron and his sons were only a priest during their lifetime. And at the time of their death, we have evidence of it. When Aaron died, Moses took Aaron and his son up to the mountain and Aaron died and they took the clothes off of Aaron and put them onto Eleazar, his son. And that happened every single time the end of the life of the high priest came. The eldest son stepped in and took over responsibility until he died and then his eldest son until he died. Until So there was a continual change of high priest. But this is saying God himself declared on an oath, I have sworn I will not change my mind You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, the writer of Hebrews says, verse 22, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood. And therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, 
pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, for first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Now, nestled in that little description of why we know that Jesus is our high priest, in verse 25, it says, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. That word completely is an idea, if you look, if you have, an, if you have um, notes in the bottom of your Bible, study notes, that word means forever. There is no end to this, sal- this salvation, this, um, um, this restoration between God and the people. In addition to that, it says, he is always living to intercede for the people that get saved. You see, Jesus died on the cross was resurrected, and we are told in the scripture, he sits now at the seat of the uh, right hand of God, the Father on his throne. And it says he makes ever, ever makes intercession for us. And quite honestly, I pictured that in my mind as, that's pretty boring. It's like, almost like Jesus became the fiber optic for us to connect to down here in the earth so that we could get connection to God and have access to God that way, the Father. Jesus just sitting there going, yeah, 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 here's the, the prayers. Everybody's praying and I'm, I'm connecting them. And okay, this is my job. But see, as I was reading this week in the, in the commentators, they were saying that Jesus is not seated at the right hand of God, sitting there forever, making, you know, passing on. Yeah, Mary just said she needs you to blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh, yeah, Tammy wants you to take care of the fact that their potatoes aren't growing as well as they. Yeah, okay. And that's not what Jesus is doing. Okay, one of the commentators said that just the fact that Jesus, who is very God and also 100% man, is in the presence of God, the Father, means that there is a perpetual reminder in heaven of the need for God to interact with man down on the earth. There's a constant Father, remember my pe- the people that you've given to me, the kids that are part of your household that we're preparing this place for. There's this constant interaction between the Father and the Son in this loving relationship between them to us. And remember last week I talked about the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son. We can't understand the Trinity, how it works, but they are always connected and always in, in con- connection with each other and working together. And then we brought in the idea last week that we, through our relationship with God, have connected into that. What Andrew Murray taught us through this reminder of God, <coughs> excuse me, of Jesus as the high priest, let me read to you his his statement. <clears throat> Excuse me. There were two statements I wanted to read to you. He said, number one, I realize that Christ must be all to me. And the more I learn to live that real life of faith, which means dying to self and living holy to Christ, it means then that the Christian life is no longer a vain struggle to live right, hoping that maybe I might get written down in the book for one more year. It is no longer a vain struggle trying to live right, but it is literally resting in Christ. 
It is literally finding our strength in Him as we live our life. It is the power that we need to fight whatever fight God puts us in. Whatever struggle is allowed to come into our life, as we rest in Him, He allows us, He empowers us to do that. And then finally, it says, we are to know and understand through faith that through this connection and this resting in God, we gain victory. Remember I said at the beginning of the service that He, in the Scriptures, it says He is our hiding place and He sings songs of victory over us. This is what, this is what Jesus is currently doing right now. While the place for us is being prepared, before we go to be with God, there is no longer a need for us to once a year get on our faces before God and be sacrificial in ourselves and try to please this tyrant God that hopefully maybe He'll accept us one more year and not write us out of His book. But indeed, we have confirmation through the scripture and through the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that that work was done once and for all at the cross. And that when God raised the sun up into heaven, we now have an advocate who sits right there constantly reminding the Father of the relationship that he established with us. And we have the witness of the Holy Spirit who's right here with us, reminding us that we are intimately connected with the Father through the Son. And all of that brings us this confidence that we don't have to strive anymore. We need to learn to rest in that. We need to learn and understand that whatever struggles come our way, we already have the victory. Through Jesus Christ, He will give us the strength to go through whatever it is. Now, does it mean that victory means I will never have any problems? No. It means that as I press through those problems, I will have victory. There will never come a point where I will lose my opportunity to be with God. I will never, ever, ever have an opportunity where Satan will overcome me as long as I rest in Christ. Now, if I choose to separate myself from God and go out and do it all on my own, then there's no guarantee. But when I sit in his presence, I looked this morning as I was as I was sitting here trying to get my heart ready for God for this morning for church in Psalm 133 or four. I can't remember which one I've preached on this a few months back, but Psalm 133 or four says. um, Yeah. Wish my fingers worked as fast as my brain. Yeah. 131. I do not concern my mind, myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have simply stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. And what I saw there was God. There are things in my life that are overwhelming to me at this point. I am broken to the point of wanting to throw my hands up and say, I quit. I can't do this anymore. It's too stressful. I don't want to do this anymore. I just need to just, I need to get away from all this right now. God, I can't do it. I mean, that's where I'm at right now. Not this church. That's not the issue. There's stuff in my life. And I've had to just understand and recognize 
that I don't have to struggle. I don't have to vainly fight and beat and try to win because I have the most powerful advocate there ever could be. And that is Jesus Christ, my intercessor, my direct link to God Almighty. And as long as I recognize that the plan of God was to have this happen, I don't have to continue in something that's dead and ended. I don't have to continue to try, to try, to try, to try. I have now the access to the Father. Always. Remember it said Aaron couldn't come in anytime he wanted, but only could come once a year, and then he had to put a smoke screen up in order to not actually see face to face? That doesn't exist anymore in God's economy. At the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, all of that was negated. And the new covenant that we now have with Him is that His Spirit is ever with us and always talking to us and always allowing us to enter into His presence. And we can always come to Him and say, Ha! Life is really tough right now. Ha! I don't like what's going on. Help me, please! And He says, Calm down, my child. Rest. Rest in me. I will give you the victory. I will take care of you. I will not allow the enemy to overcome you. Now, there may come ev- I mean, events that we don't understand. Well, if you're protecting me, God, why did this happen? In my perfect plan, in everything that I know about what's happening and what's going to happen, you can trust me. Just rest. Just rest. I have a sign that I got from Papua New Guinea because it spoke volumes to me. It's Exodus chapter 14, 14 verse 14. That's the, the phrase that is on that sign. And what it says, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What else can you say? I have someone who 24-7, 365 is in my side. Who will never, ever, ever leave me. Who will always be my advocate before God. And I have the witness of His Holy Spirit right here with me to prove it. And the enemy will do anything he can to distract me. To keep me from resting. He will do all that he can to keep me striving. Trying to accomplish whatever it is that's out there. Instead of just saying, I simply rest and trust in you, O God. But we have God's holy word. And it's from start to finish. From Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through to Hebrews, all the way through to Revelation. The promises of God are this. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will give you victory. He is your hiding place and He sings songs of deliverance and victory over you. And you need to simply rest in Him. When the struggle gets hard, He becomes your strength. There will be times when He asks you to stand in your own strength because that's how you get disciplined. But He will never... Ever let you fall. 
Because if your weakness comes up to the point where you muscle failure, he will catch you. And you need to rest in that and know that he is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. I don't remember the rest of it. Your compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning as we're acknowledging that we're in your presence. And we're closing out this time of worship. And we thank you. Glory. Hallelujah. We thank you. It doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what has come into our lives. We know, we know that there is a victory awaiting us. And we just have to learn to rest in that, Lord. We praise you and we give glory to you, Father. In the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.